Welcome to the weekly podcast from Faith Community Church in Janesville, Wisconsin. For more information about Faith Community, please visit our website at www.faithcommunitychurch.net or check us out on Facebook by searching Faith Community Church Janesville. You can also reach us by email at podcast at faithjanesville.org. You can be a part of this ministry and help advance the kingdom by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a five-star review. This helps us spread the word of God in the podcast world, allowing us to better reach more people in the name of Christ. We'd love to hear from you. So we are going through the gospel project, the story of Jesus. And so uh, I want to take some time today, and I know we talk about King Jesus and what he's done for us all the time, but I think it's important to have a week from time to time where we just tell the story. And for those who've never heard it or those who need to hear it again, every time we hear it, we glean more, don't we? And so we want to share the story of what Jesus has done for us today. Pastor Jesse talked about the most popular verse in all the Bible. You think you know what it is? What is it? Surveys tell us it is John 3.16. All the services today, this weekend have said the same thing. It's John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Now, do you know the circumstances around that? Why did that verse, why did those words get uttered? Do you know what the significance of them is, and why they were said. Well, the story is found, according to our bookmark, in John chapter 3. And that's where we're going to be at today. Let's read the story of Nicodemus, and let's talk about it together. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So that tells us quite a bit. Number one, we know he's a Pharisee. Pharisees literally means the separated ones. And they were separated, they were seen as holy, and they were holy because they obeyed these rules to the the nth degree. Not only did they obey God's rules, but man had written rules about God's rules, and they obeyed all those too. In fact, they elevated those man-made rules to the same level as the rules that had come from God. And that's why Jesus and the Pharisees are always butting heads. Because they see Jesus as breaking God's rules when he was actually breaking man's rules. Then man had written about God's rules, right? And so there were always this tension between the Pharisees and Jesus. So as a Pharisee, he's a teacher, he's a religious leader, and he's also a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. Seventy men and the high priest. And they are the supreme court of the land. So he is a man of education. He's a man of faith. He's a man of power. He's probably a man of wealth. And he's a very important person. Now, he's listening to Jesus, and he's watching Jesus, and many of the Pharisees are against Jesus for the very reason I just gave. They see him as a lawbreaker. They see him as a blasphemer, a heretic, and certainly as the competition. But there is this quiet few who look at Jesus and listen to Jesus and go, he's got to be from God. Nobody could do what he does unless God were with them. Nobody could teach like he teaches unless God were with them. And so he decides 
he's going to come to Jesus at night. John tells us that at night, there's no other reason for John to tell us what time of day it was unless that time of day is significant. It's significant because in the cloak of darkness, he can come to Jesus and not be seen. Risk being ostracized or removed from the sect of the Pharisees. And so let's read the story together here in verse 2. Read that one. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know, my little, my little group of friends, we know that you're a teacher that has come from God. We're, we're not ready to go beyond that you're a teacher and beyond that you're from God in some way. We're not going to say you're Messiah. We're not going to go crazy here. We just know there's something about you that's from God. No one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So he lets Jesus know right off the bat he's coming as a friend. He's not coming hostile. He's not coming accusatory. He just simply wants answers. And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Jesus answers a question Nicodemus didn't ask. Notice that? It's like he's replying to a question. Nicodemus is probably thinking it, right? He's kind of thinking, what's the significance of what you're doing? But Jesus goes ahead and answers the question before it's even asked. You must be born again. And even today, people are confused because Nicodemus is going to get more confused. Instead of getting his questions answered, he's going to have more questions after this. And, you know, today, some people might struggle to answer that question. Well, in this same chapter, in verse 31, it says, The one who comes from above is above all. These words that are translated here, from above, are translated again in verse 3. It's the same word. So in verse 3, it's translated from again, and in verse 31, it's translated from above. So you could say to be born again means to be born from above. It's spiritual birth. Wherever there's life, there's birth. So if you're alive physically, you were born. If you are alive spiritually, there was a birth. There was a spiritual birth that took place. So Nicodemus is very confused, and he says, how can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. I think one translation, he even goes like, can he? You know, when they always say there's no such thing as a dumb question, that's a dumb question. Uh, I wonder if he's not being a little bit facetious here, like maybe there's an LOL after this, right? That, you know, he can't, well, he can't be in the mother's womb again, can't, ha ha, I, I don't know, but it's a crazy thing that he said here. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. What does Jesus mean by unless they're born of water and spirit? Well, the next verse answers that and says, flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. There's natural birth, right? We're in an amniotic sac, water, the water breaks, there's natural birth, and there's spiritual birth. And he says, you should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again, or you must be born from above. And then he tries to articulate that a little bit and set Nicodemus' mind at ease. And he says, the wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You don't see the wind, but you don't, and, and, but you don't have to, to see it to know it's there. You see its effects. You see what it does. And you don't have to understand it to receive the benefits of the wind, right? 
You don't have to understand how the wind currents work to be the benefactor of a, of a nice breeze. Right? You don't have to understand everything I mean when I say born of the Spirit, but you will see the impact of the Spirit, the effect of the Spirit. And you can enter into the spiritual life, Nicodemus, even though you don't understand everything there is to know. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. Jesus, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? In other words, you have a prominent position of teaching in our community, in our city. You're one of our go-to teachers, and you don't understand these elementary spiritual principles? Remember last week we talked about the new birth that is foreshadowed in the Old Testament, right? And I'm going to write my law in your heart, and I'm going to put my spirit within you, and I'm going to do something new, right? God talked about the new birth all the way through the prophets for centuries, he says, you should have some rudimentary understanding of what I'm talking about. So it's a little bit of a rebuke here, a little bit of, of humbling Nicodemus. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen. Still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then would you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who's come from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So he talks about this obscure story in Numbers 21, where there's poisonous snakes. And they're biting the Israelites. And if they look at this bronze snake that Moses puts on a pole and lifts it up, they'll live. And that, it, it seems kind of foolish, but there's nothing you need to do but simply obey this command and look to this snake. Look at this pole and have faith in what God has said, what Moses has said, and you'll live. And Jesus says, I'm going to be lifted up one day, right? I'm going to be lifted up, and those who look to me will live. And so he's drawing that analogy back to the story in Numbers 21. For everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Okay, now we're going to transition, because Jesus has been talking about the fact that one day he'll be lifted up. Okay, and people will look to him and believe. And now we transition to the past tense. And John begins to look back on the cross. So I believe right here in, this, in, in verse 16, John is now telling us of the impact of what Jesus did, of what happened after he was lifted up. And this is not the dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus, but this is John through the Holy Spirit telling us what Jesus did, what impact it had on the world. One is looking ahead towards the future, and here we transition to look back upon an event that will come in the future. And that is a familiar verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, I'm going to focus on this word world. What is, this is a very important word in this passage. What does this word mean, world? It's the Greek word cosmos, and it really depends on the context in which the word is spoken. The word world is spoken. And we're going to show you a number of examples, and you'll be able to figure out that it means different things depending upon how it is used. For instance, in Acts 17, Paul writes and says, the God who made the world, 
defines that by everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. So here, world means everything we see, our universe. Not just our earth, but when we look up at the sky, we look up at the heavens. God made it all. He made the world, everything we can see. It takes on a slightly different meaning here in John's gospel, the 13th chapter. It says, it was before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. When it says it was in the world, they were here where? They were here on earth, right? The people of the earth. It has a different meaning in 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Here, the world doesn't mean creation or the earth. Here, the world means the world system that is corrupt, that is passing, the world system. So cosmos can mean that. For everything in the world or in this world system, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So he says when he don't love the world, he doesn't mean don't love trees, don't love birds in the ocean and the mountains. He means don't love the world system. Verse 33 of John 16, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you have peace. In this world you have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I've over, I will overcome this world system. Okay, I will conquer sin. I will conquer death. In John chapter 1, it said the true, and this is a tricky one, okay, we got a couple different usages here. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. What's that? Earth, right? The, the, it's coming to here to the peoples of the world. He was in the world, this physical planet, and though the world, this physical planet Earth was made through him, the world, meaning people, did not recognize him. So here in this same one verse, cosmos is used in a couple of different ways. It means the earth, right? And then it means also the people. He created the earth, and the people of the world, people of the cosmos, did not recognize him. A couple more. Romans chapter 3, or one more. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. Here, world means humanity. Humanity. So those are the four most common meanings of the word world. So in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave, is he talking about the physical universe, the earth, the world system? No, he's talking about humanity because it's about whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but everlasting life. Now, we're going to dig into this verse deeper, maybe deeper than you ever have, and that's because it's a really important verse. And we're going to do that, and we're going to work hard for a few minutes, and then I'll tell you a story, okay? So that's kind of the trade-off. You got to work a little bit, and then I'll tell you a good story that you'll remember for the rest of your lives, all right? Now, when we have a translation the translators are trying to take the original languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, and put them in the vernacular of the people that they're trying to translate for. And so when you read it from the original language, it's got a little bit different nuance to it. It doesn't change 
your meaning. It doesn't change how you memorize John 3.16. I'm not trying to mess with that. That's the one verse we don't want to mess with when people memorize it. For some of you, it's the only verse you've memorized. I'm not going to mess with it. Okay? But when we look at the language, the direct language, it does give us a little more detail. We understand the verse a little bit more in depth. And we're going to see that some very small words in this verse have great significance. Okay? So you ready to work? All right. So we're going to go and we're going to talk about this. All right. So we come up here, and I'm going to, I'm going to translate this for you. So it says, for God so loved, there's the word agape, son. God so loved the world, the cosmos, right? He's the cosmos in this case. In this way. Hutos means in this way. And so what he's saying here is this word, this little word in this way has degree and manner, both. So like we say, God so loved the world. That has to do with intensity, right? That's communicated by that word. But it also tells us how, the manner in which God loved us. For God so loved the world in this way. That, right here, okay, this hosta is an important word. How did God love us? He loved us by giving. Edoken, he gave. When you love someone or you love a cause or whatever, you, what do you do? You give, right? You give. Commercial comes on TV and it moves you and, and you feel a response, you give. There's a person you love and you give something to them. An organ, you know, maybe you love the cause of world missions. And so you give towards that because you love that, okay? So God gave. Well, how did God give? God gave his only, monogene is a really important word. He gave his only begotten or one of a kind, unique. That's what this word means. There's some new age teaching out there that says Jesus was just a man like you and I, not divine. And he's just a man, but he had Christ consciousness. Have you heard that? It's pretty prevalent in those circles. He had Christ consciousness. He was tapped into the divine. And you can be like Jesus too. No, you cannot. You can strive to be like Jesus, but you will never be Jesus, right? He is the unique, one-of-a-kind, only begotten Son, okay? So for God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only Son. Now, here's another small word. Henna. Henna tells us something really important. So that, so that he did this, he loved us in this way, so that everyone, this little word here means everyone. Now, we say whoever or whosoever, that's actually not in the Greek. It's, we, the translators put it in there, it's fine to say it, it's fine to memorize it like that, but the literal word is everyone. So that everyone who believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Zoe life, the God kind of life. God is eternal. God is spirit. God is light. God is love. Paul says we're sown the physical body. When we die, it's raised the spiritual body. 
that one day we will be spiritual, eternal, light-bearing, love-bearing, image-of-God-bearing beings who don't grow old, who don't subject to pain and disease and death. Does that sound good to you? A God kind of life. That's what this word means. And there's a couple, I didn't share this in other, other services, but you guys look kind of smart, I think. So we see here, you know, this is the um, subjunctive, this the word for destroy or to lose or to um, perish. That's a subjunctive. Uh, this is the subjunctive. Subjunctive means desire of, of the author, right? We've got the aorist, and, which is the command tense, and you've got the indicative, which is just a statement of fact, mood, rather, not, not tense, mood. And the subjunctive expresses the wishes or desires of the author. And so it's saying God's desire is not that you'd perish. His desire is that you would have life. Here's the subjunctive. We've got the elongated vowel there. Okay, so we worked really hard, right? Now what we're going to do is we're going to tell you a story. And I want to convey the story of Jesus to you, but I want to tell you another story first as a way that will maybe help us understand more effectively what Jesus did for us. When I was doing my undergrad work at Trinity, we had a chapel speaker who came in and told us a story that I've never forgotten. I don't remember his name, but I've never forgotten the story. And this has been, I hate to tell it, but it's been over 40 years ago, guys, that I heard this story for the first time. And I related to it because it's about baseball, and I loved baseball. And when I was a kid, we had an apartment complex, and we would break windows there. And so the manager of the building said, no more baseball in the yard. Go play in the park. Go play someplace else. No more breaking windows. But I would like to practice. And so I, would, I had this little rubber ball. It was really hard, like a, hard, like a, you know, a regular baseball. And I'd work on my grounders, right, and my flies. And so I'd throw it low if it was a grounder, and I'd throw it high in the building if I was trying to work on catch, fielding a, a fly ball. And then I had to throw it back to first base. There was a certain spot that was first base on the wall. And sometimes I'm like, I was in a hurry, and I was like, I know I got to beat this guy in my head, right? I get, I'm in a hurry in my head. I gotta, it's going to be a close play at first base, and I just throw it a little bit out of control, and it go through my neighbor's window, and I'd be in trouble, right? So I, I related this story. He's talked about how a little boy, he had a seminary professor that lived right next door, and he and his friend loved to play baseball. The problem was they were breaking the professor's window. And so we'll say the little boy is Dan. I forget what his name was, but those were my, my two baseball buddies when I was a kid. So I'll say his name was Dan. And he told Dan, look, Dan, I'm glad you like baseball. I like baseball too, but you can't play baseball next to my house anymore because you're breaking my windows and I'm tired of it. So go to the park, go to the school, go to another lot. There's other places you can play baseball. Oh, okay, 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 mister, okay. But the thing of it is, what he doesn't know won't hurt him. And so when the professor was gone and he walked to and from the school, he would play baseball. And when his friends saw the professor coming, because he walked home the same way every day, they would say, here he comes. And they'd all grab their bats and the gloves and the ball, and they'd run off. And this would go on day after day. And so they kept playing baseball, but they would make sure they were done by the time he came home. But one day they broke his window. 
And Dan knew he was in trouble. As soon as that ball went through the window, he's like, oh, man, I'm in big trouble. Now, you should go and tell your mom, right? You should go and tell the professor what you did, but that's not what he did. They all ran away, and they all, he went in his house, and then he waited for judgment to come. Right? He waited every time for the next amount of days, every time the phone would ring and his mother would pick it up. She'd say, hello? Yes. He did? He did? Well, I will talk to him right now. And he'd be in his room shaking, right, all afraid. And she'd be knocking on his door, and he's ready to confess. And she'd say, your teacher says you forgot your homework again. Yeah, I forgot my homework, Mom. Uh, you're right. I'm sorry. You know, I'll get it tomorrow. Every time the doorbell would ring, his heart would pound. Here comes judgment. All right, here comes, you know, my neighbor, and he's going to tell this horrible thing I've done. But it wouldn't be the neighbor at the doorbell. And he kind of relaxed a little bit, but they, they did keep watch with more intensity. And every time they'd see him coming down the street, here comes a professor. Get your stuff and go home. Professor sees this, and he wants to talk to Dan. So he gets an idea. He says to himself, I'm going to take the long way home. And so when they're looking down the sidewalk for me, they're not going to see me. And he comes the other way, and occasionally they're glancing down the sidewalk, and he comes up right to Dan, and he grabs him by the arm. Dan looks up. Let me go. Let me go. Let me go. And he says, no, I'm not going to let you go, Dan. He says, you know what I want to talk to you about? I don't know what you're talking about, Mitch. I don't know what you're talking about. Just let me go. Let me go. And he said, Dan, I'm not going to let you go until you hear what I have to say. He says, I know you broke my window. He says, I watch you guys run every time I come by. But I want to tell you something, Dan. I paid for the window. See, Dan, I like you. We're neighbors together. And I don't want you to be afraid of me. And I don't want you to run from me every time you see me coming. And I would appreciate it if you wouldn't play baseball next to the house. But I want you to know I paid for the window. And I'm going to let you go in a second. And you can run if you want to. But I'd prefer you stay and shake my hand. And he let him go. And he said, can we be friends, Dan? we reconcile? And Dan looked up at the man. He looked at his hand. He looked up at the man, looked at his friends, and he held out his hand and he shook his hand. And he said, I'm sorry that I broke your window. I'll pay for it. I can earn it back. I'll do jobs, whatever you need me to do. He says, you don't owe me anything. I paid for what you broke. I just want you to be my friend. Can we be friends, Dan? Can we have a relationship together? And Dan shook his head, yeah. And he said, I, I'm not going to do it, I, I swear. I'm not going to play baseball. I'm not going to let my friends either play baseball anymore. I'm gonna, we're going to respect and, and thank you. Thank you for paying for the window. Thank you for not telling my mom what I did. And he told me that story, told all of us that story, and how they became fast friends their whole life long. When he grew up and went to war, they remained pen pals. Until the day the professor died, they were friends. The reason I tell you the story is it reminds me a lot of what Jesus did. 
I want to take you down what's called the Roman road. In the book of Romans chapter 3, it says, For all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, even your sweet grandma. For all have sinned. Every one of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when it says sin, it means to miss the mark. And it is with intention that we sinned and failed. It's not by accident. He knew what he was doing when he played baseball. He knew he could break a window. And when he did break the window, he ran. Instead of being held accountable for it, he ran. And we've all done that. We've broken God's law intentionally. And instead of coming to him, we hid from him. What does it say in the garden, right? What did Adam and Eve do when they sinned? Hey, got some news for you, God. Just want to let you know what we did. You got a moment? Can you sit down? It's a big one. What do they do? They hid. They ran, right? All sinned and fought. We're in the same ballpark as little Dan. We have all broken God's law. The wages of sin is death. What we've earned from sin is death. Death means separation. You know, that breaking of that window caused a separation between Dan and his neighbor. They were not in a relationship anymore. One was afraid of the other. One was running from the other. There was not a relationship, a relationship of fear, but certainly not a relationship. And so we're separated from God by our sin. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, it says in Romans 5, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinning and enjoying it, as one of our members told me in the last service, God died for us. God is the initiator. God is the one who makes the first move. We love him because he first loves us, the word says. In the story, the professor pursues the little boy. He doesn't wait for the little boy to come to him. He is the one who's going to initiate reconciliation. And so it is with the gospel. He is the one who has initiated reconciliation with us. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The little boy waited for condemnation that never came. And sometimes those of us maybe who don't know the Lord, or maybe you do know the Lord, and you're just waiting for God to judge you, waiting for God to condemn you, waiting for God to punish you because of your sin. And the good news is that Jesus took your punishment for you. He paid your debt for you, just like the man paid the little boy's debt. Not because of anything good in the little boy, but because of the kindness and the goodness of the professor. It says in John chapter 19, as Jesus dies, he says, it is finished. The debt is paid. His life became the payment for our sin. As a result of that, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Those of you who don't know God, those of you who don't follow the Lord, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. There's that point where we make a choice. And he says, can we be friends? Can we have a relationship? Can we be reconciled? Would the little boy run? 
and continue the separation, continue to live in fear, or will he respond to the offer of grace? When we respond to the offer of grace, Romans says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with a heart that you believe and are justified, with a mouth you profess and are saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So where there's that moment where he changed his mind, wasn't there? Where he said, I'm sorry for what I've done. And I thank you for what you've done for me. And yes, I want to have a relationship with you. And he became like a son to that man. And so we come to the point of reconciliation where we understand what God has done. And we say, yes, Lord, I receive your grace. Yes, Lord, I thank you for what you've done for me. You've paid my debt. And I change my mind. I repent of my sin. I change my direction. And I want to live for you. I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. I want to live my life for you. And that is the gospel. Let's pray. Father, if there's any here today who've not responded to that message of hope, of life, my prayer is that they would do that today, that they would turn from sin, they would stop loving the world and turn to love you. And they can't do that on their own. They need new birth. They need to be born from above, that you will impart your spirit, your grace, forgive them, cleanse them, and indwell them through the Holy Spirit to change them from the inside out and empower them to live a life that pleases you and to be in relationship with you as a son and a daughter. This is what this important verse means. And we're so grateful that we could study it this morning, and we're so grateful also that we can take this time to remember what our Lord did as we receive communion together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Faith Community Church Podcast. We are glad that you joined us and hope that you were blessed by the message. If you would like to join us in the ministry of sharing the Word of God, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review. This helps us build the analytics of the channel allowing us to better reach people in the name of Christ. Go be the light in your family, your community, and your church. God bless you.